I've been really enjoying your Substack. It's been thank you very much. I'm glad. Really fascinating. Yeah, yeah. I've I've uh, kept up with it for a while. I think I was already a subscriber before you uh, took lead of the of the Substack, and then I started oh, reading okay. your your essays. And yeah, yeah, they're they're phenomenal. They're, they're you go into so much depth and provide some really interesting insights about psychedelics and neuroscience. So I've, I just have a lot of questions for you, things that I'm thinking about. Um, and okay. I'm excited to get into it. Let's do it. I'm excited too. Yeah. Yeah. And so why don't you first talk about your background and what it is you do, um, which field you study in, and then we'll get into it. Sure. Yeah. So I'm, I'm a cognitive neuroscientist. Um, I'm not doing I'm not actively doing research anymore, but my background was in imaging, so neuroimaging. I did functional and structural imaging. Um, in graduate school, I focused on psychopathic traits um, and the brain, and just because I was interested in, in my mind at the time, what could go wrong, um, you know, for someone to behave so, uh, anti, you know, antisocially. Um, so I focused on that, and then. Because I was interested in psychopathic behavior, I was also interested in how the things we discover in neuroscience could affect legal decisions um, and the legal system. And so I did a postdoc at Vanderbilt with the Law and Neuroscience um, program that was funded by the MacArthur Foundation. Uh, and it was pretty interesting. So I did that for a while. And then I kind of transitioned into learning more about business and startups because I felt like, you know, I kind of, I'd like to be well-rounded and I felt academia to be very limiting. So um, I went to UCLA, worked at um, kind of in their new ventures, their venture fund space to, to learn that. And then after I learned some of that, I thought, oh, I kind of miss research. So I went back to USC to work at a digital health center um, and it combined kind of all of my interests in uh, not only human behavior, but also using technology. Um, so, you know, so we were using wearables and apps to collect longitudinal continuous data off of people and see if we could use that to predict um, behavior or health outcomes. Uh, and so I did that for many years. And that was kind of my, in my, you know, in my head, like my old, my traditional old me path um, of focusing just like traditional neuroscience, um, traditional research. And, and then <laughs> I had a, I kind of just wasn't very happy. Um, and had a, like some, I just started to open to the idea of spirituality through a number of experiences. And before that, I was a very traditional, you know, um, scientific materialist, a very traditional um, hardcore scientist, I guess. Like, and I was very anti-religion and very anti-anything spirituality. And that's kind of um, the tone, like in neuroscience, uh, like when we were in graduate school, you know, it's just, I mean, none of us really talked about it with each other, but that was kind of the tone that you got from the top down, the hierarchy. And so I just embodied that and never really needed spirituality, never thought about it, um, you know, until I, until I did. <laughs> and so I got really curious because it was a whole field like that I didn't know anything about. And so I just launched this um, two year long investigation of like reading a bunch of texts, interviewing people, talk, actually actively talking to other scientists. You know, I was just curious what they believe, how they think 
of you know our world, our reality, and um, because it was mine, <laughs> and to kind of launch this thing. And then part of that journey was stumbling um, onto psychedelics, and uh, and it was just just really interesting. Like the research that has come out recently, really really blew my mind. I mean, it's very impressive. Um, and that's kind of how I got interested. I connected with um, Erica Rex, who was a journalist who was running the Substack before I took it over. We just kind of became friends. We had a lot of conversations. Um, and then she wanted to stop doing the newsletter. And, and I was thinking of starting something. So it just perfectly lined up. And I took it over and I thought, what could I do with this? And I, I was just, you know, voraciously reading everything I could to really understand psychedelics and why they're so healing and they're why they're so interesting. And I thought, well, I guess the best thing I could do is just start, you know, summarizing to start summarizing some of the studies and some of the findings that I found interesting and explaining why I found them interesting. Um, Cause I just noticed as I would talk about it, people were very, very unfamiliar, you know, with, and it was, I was kind of coming up against those, the stigmatization of it, the misunderstanding. Um, and I thought, okay, the best thing I can do right now is, because uh, I came from that place too. So the best thing I can do is summarize everything I'm learning, present it for others to come to it in an easy to understand, you know, like easy to consume way so we can all get on the same page <laughs> and kind of do my part. Mm. Yeah, that, that totally makes sense. And psychedelics are in a really weird place because they're opposed by both hardcore scientists and also very dogmatic religious people. <laughs> it's getting mm -hmm. opposition from both sides, you know, because yeah. an ordinary like evangelical Christian is going to be totally opposed to this uh, in my experience. Mm -hmm. And that's needless to say. And also a lot of people in the scientific community um, when they look at psychedelics and how they're very difficult to measure, quantify, really make sense of these things with scientific tools, yes. even though the data coming from Johns Hopkins and maps, et cetera, are, are really impressive, like you said, but because of how subjective this is and how indescribable and ineffable and mystical all these things are, a lot, a lot of scientists mm -hmm. don't take a lot of interest in this either, or, or at least they just kind of um, put it into a different category of inferior kind of subjective experience that yes. isn't valid enough to be studied in the lab or is of a different realm that is just inferior to what scientists can understand in their own very limited rational way. Yes, absolutely. Well, you're, you're spot on. Um, and, and that's actually why, I love psychedelics actually is because it is so um, it pushes us like as a, cause I can easily slip back into my traditional neuroscientist role. And in that, you know, mindset, it pushes us to our edge um, of what we're comfortable with and, and what we understand. And part of it to defend neuroscientists, it's not, it, we are trained in this way. This is how we are trained. You know, um, they teach us your brain cannot be trusted. Your perceptions cannot be trusted. You know, you're, there's all these cognitive, there's all these biases, right? That everyone's familiar with, um, like confirmation bias, etc. But uh, your your brain is not reliable, and that's why we, especially in neuroscience, discount subjective experience. Um, and you know, 
if you take it back another level beyond just neuroscience back to the broader sciences it's it's another matter it's more like you know physical matter um things behaviorism like things that we can measure through physiology like those are the important things that matter because we can measure those whereas it's very hard for us to measure subjective experience and then when you go into neuroscience it's more like on top of that the brain cannot be trusted um and people's experiences are so varied and that is one thing you know we have a lot of difficulty with in um in neuroscience so they they do train us in that way and it's hard to get out of that mindset it takes a very I mean, it takes it it takes something it takes an experience it takes you reading an interesting study you won't come out of it um on your own and it, so you know kind of to defend them a little that we are trained in that way which which sucks but um once you come out of it uh, for me anyway what what did it was i i started reading a lot of the psychological literature um and 70s um just a lot of the work that had been done and i that's when i i always knew this but that's when i realized how big the gap between neuroscience and clinical psychology is it's huge it's so huge i've never even thought about clinical psychology and i doubt many neuroscientists have you know when we think of psychology we think of experimental psychology the kind that we you know use those methods in our experiments but the gap between neuroscience and clinical psychology is enormous um in my previous life in graduate school i thought about it only in relation to mental illness mental health you know and just how far neuroscience is from understanding uh mental illness at all which it very much is but psychedelics and the literature around that brought my attention to this um and i'm realized how large of a problem it is for us for our, for all of us the pursuit of knowledge for the scientific endeavor for humanity you know it's kind of a it's a large issue because clinical your your heat, clinical psychology is actually doing in my opinion this is I'm going to start saying things that my colleagues will hate but um you know neuro, neuroscience is great but a lot of it's just experiments in the lab that don't translate when you leave the lab you know like a lot of it is we we try to control every variable and it, at the end of the day it's like how useful is that really because humans don't behave outside the way they do in you know in the lab and um clinical psychology is for better or worse or psychiatry whatever these are the tools that we have for healing people in any you know way shape or form that we can in our society it's the best we have albeit not perfect um and in my mind really at least it's 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 you know there it's something useful um and there's just like this huge gap between the two fields and psychedelics really brought that to my attention i'll stop there mm. for some yeah yeah and i think psychedelics could also be a bridge between religion and science because yes. whereas certain religious practices are difficult to study in a scientifically rigorous way like doing the Jesus prayer or kundalini yoga or anything else i mean other than mindfulness meditation which there's a wealth of data on at this point and it's it, it transcends uh religion and different cultures it, it's it's something that has been done in multiple different cultures and religions in different ways and so there's kind of a secular form of that but outside of mindfulness meditation there isn't much in the realm of religion that's easy to understand scientifically because a lot of it is highly subjective 
and not scientific in nature. But with psychedelics, you can reliably predict that if you enroll, say, 250 participants in your study and you all give them five or six grams of mushrooms, you can reliably predict that at least, say, 70, 80 percent of them are going to have a deeply mystical experience where they're going to encounter something that they've never have before, something that's bigger than their existence and that it'll have some kind of meaning for them. And so, so, yeah. so the fact that we can predict that and that doesn't require any prior belief, I think can mm -hmm. help us understand potentially um, what exactly religions have been doing for centuries with a variety of different rituals and practices. So I, I'm curious what your thoughts are about that as well as this one fact you mentioned in one of your essays about over 90% of the world's 4,000 recognized societies have one or more procedures for inducting non-ordinary states of consciousness. And that includes fasting, sleep deprivation, drumming, dancing, chanting, um, etc. cetera. Ch chanting is a pretty common one across Hinduism, <laughs> Buddhism, Christianity. I've firsthand experienced some of these things because I'm a very curious kind of cosmopolitan person and I've kind of exposed myself to different religious circles and have found that to be a big commonality. Um, but do you think there's something like universal there um, that psychedelics aim at and that these different religious practices um, try to explore? Like that there's something that that's, yeah. that's capable to be achieved or attained or investigated by everybody's consciousness and whether that's in a Christian context or a Hindu one or a Buddhist one. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I think Sorry. Sorry, there's a, there's a question mark. There. To, um, <laughs> yeah. I think it's, you, you, Oh yeah. Yeah. You cut out a little bit at the end. Sorry. I didn't. Sorry. I, oh yeah. I, I, yeah I there's a bit I of a delay here. Question. Um, okay. Yeah. Um, but I, I think there's, I think there are commonalities. I think it's hugely important to approach all of these things with curiosity. And, and so again, just putting on my old neuroscience hat, I'm just, if it was the old me, if I had never been interested in any of this, I would have thought, oh, who cares about that? But with my new perspective, it's who cares about that? I mean, first of all, these practices are very healing for people. And um, psychedelics, as you mentioned, like you can come out of the experience with a very meaningful experience that heals you in some way. And that is very important <laughs> to humans. And so, you know, I think some scientists, uh, I would have approached this topic, you know, dismissing it in the past, thinking that's not important, oh, meaning or whatever, that's, you know, that's for the humanities. But in fact, if it can heal you, um, that is something that's important to science. And so I think that it's really um, moving forward. It's going to be very important for us to examine all of these things. Like you said, it's, it's amazing that with psychedelics, we can reliably encounter these states. And, you know, now we can even put someone in the scanner, although I don't really care about neuroimaging anymore, anymore personally. But, you know, um, we can do that. <laughs> we can investigate that and explore that. Uh, but I do think that I also I, actually I'm glad you brought this up because I don't think exploring psychedelics alone is is going to be 
the, the way forward. I think it's more important to look at it in the broader context of all of these other practices because not everyone is going to be willing or able to do psychedelics. And it's, it's great to know that there are other routes to access altered states of consciousness that can provide just as much meaning um, and just as much healing um, as psychedelics, although, you know, um, maybe it's a more variable outcomes, but uh, I, so I think it's, I think it's really important to do that. Mm -hmm. And, and that's one of the reason why I'm interested in psychedelics is because, uh, and again, like from my old neuroscientist perspective, I would have, and I'm sure others dismiss these experiences as, oh, they're just byproducts of the brain or, oh, it's just your neural circuits going haywire. But that is not an explanation for why we experience what we experience. That is just a description of what happens in the brain. But it does not mm. to explain why what's happening is happening. Why would we experience oneness? Why would you feel something sacred? Um, why, you know, it doesn't explain at all why what you experience is what you experience. Um, and if you want to bring evolutionary biology into it, why we evolved the way we did to experience that kind of thing when we're in an altered state of consciousness. So I don't think dismissing these states in that way explains anything. <laughs> and I also mm. don't think that sci science can explain it alone. I think it will require the humanities to fully explain it. Mm. Do you think one of the crucial differences between religious practices and psychedelics is that religious practices require a lot of effort and prior belief and training and ritual, mm -hmm. whereas psychedelics, uh, I think ritualizing them is actually very important, but they don't require yeah. you to sit for three or four hours or, or say spend weeks or months or years, you know, carefully meditating and doing these yogic postures. It just requires you to sit down and take the medicine yeah. and then the, the, the altered state of consciousness is going to come regardless. You know, do you think that's a big difference and which is why psychedelics are very efficient or convenient in that they don't require you to practice anything for any length of time and it can reliably produce altered state of consciousness? Yeah, I think that's the appeal for some people. And I also think it goes both ways. So there are some people who, who yes, I don't want to put the effort in. It's too hard. You know, I can't meditate for seven hours <laughs> to get to that state. I don't want a chance. So let me take a psychedelic. For sure, for those people, it's an easy it's an easy way to access altered states. Um, there's also going to be other people who don't want to take a psychedelic, you know, because they don't want to be high for right. <laughs> six to eight to twelve hours, um, and they're scared of what what they're going to encounter. And so, for some people, doing something like breath work um, or chanting or meditation where you are in control and you can stop and come out of the state at any time you'd like, that's more appealing to them. So I think that that's nice right. to have both, both options. Yeah. 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 And I, I also, I also do want to ask about your experiences with certain spiritual traditions. If you lean one way or the other, or if you have an experience with any specific spiritual traditions, but with me, like I, I've done a lot of meditation and yoga within mm -hmm. uh, a Hindu, like a non-dual Hindu slash like secular Buddhist context. And I, I follow a lot of Sam Harris's work, uh, Waking Up. Mm -hmm. I, don't, I don't know if you're familiar mm -hmm. with uh, his meditation app. It's, it's wonderful. Um, and there, yeah, yeah, yeah it, it, it's wonderful. Um, but 
the the other difference too that I, I want to highlight is that you know something like meditation um, is is incredibly important I think for a lot of people to do, and I've been doing it for I think two to three years now, but mm -hmm. I, I think in some ways they are different projects in that like if you're dealing with a lot of trauma or PTSD depression and there's a lot of unresolved conflicts. Um, the, the psychedelics are going to make you confront that and make you process yeah. it and, and make yeah. you actually come to grips with what that is um, in a very profound way. Whereas meditation is going to bring a, a lot of illumination and mindfulness to your present experience. So in many ways, there are radically different projects. And if mm -hmm. somebody's dealing with a lot of depression and anxiety, which uh, I know a lot of people in my case, uh, in my life, we're dealing with those issues. For them, I think psychedelics is is very important to potentially pursue um, in in tandem with psychotherapy, so that they can actually yeah. process those traumas and actually understand why they are the way they are, as opposed to just quieting their mind for two hours and experiencing inner silence, which which, which nonetheless is very uh, important, I think, for yes. a human being to experience, but. In terms of actually healing deep traumas and wounds from the past, um, just religious practices alone seem to potentially produce more of a spiritual bypass uh, as opposed to actually mm -hmm. dealing with those real yes. issues. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, I completely agree with you. Um, I've been meditating for years, but um, I would say that I, let's see, I think the last three years, um, I've I bothered to actually read um, Buddhist, you know, just a, a lot of different kinds of spiritual texts. I don't subscribe to any one thing. I like to read all of it and take what I need from all of them. But um, I assume you're I, influenced I, by like Aldous Huxley based on the name of the yes. Substack. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes, yes, yes. I, I'm, well. I'm, I'm, re I'm reading his uh, Doors of Perception, by the way, his Mescaline Adventures. Yeah, yeah. So fascinating. I love that book. Such a so good. vivid, fascinating description. I want to try yeah, that after reading. After reading I know, I know. Yeah, he's such an that. eloquent writer um, and brings like such interesting perspectives, you know, highlighting things you never would have noticed or thought of. So um, yeah, I'm definitely an Aldous Huxley fan. Um, but yeah, and just in, I, I think what I found over the last few years is that I didn't know or believe before was that spirituality has value <laughs> for humans. It really is very valuable and useful in day-to-day -day living. And I found that through my meditation practice, kind of as you, as you were talking about, it makes you very aware of your thoughts. It takes a while, you know, to really master it, or I mean, I'm, I haven't mastered it, but, but even to just start to see the space between you and your thoughts takes a while, at least it did for me. Um, but once that happens, it's, it, um, it's so difficult, by the way, I'm like, I think two to three years in and, and I, as, as I'm realizing, um, over the past few weeks, actually, I, I definitely have very strong ADD symptoms that have come from mm -hmm. mysterious places. So it's very difficult for me yeah. to focus. And I've kind of been beating myself up for it over the past several months, like not being able to focus in meditation. But now I'm bringing more and more compassion towards that because it, it is very difficult, especially if you're dealing with yeah. uh, ADD, which in my case probably came yeah. from childhood tra traumas of various kinds. I don't know if you have any yes, experience yes. or interest with ADD research as a as a neuroscientist or personally, but that's that's one other thing that 
meditation um, can help and, yeah. and also psychedelics can, can help with that as well in some ways. Yes, absolutely. Um, and you're right. I mean, all you can do is keep trying, right? And it also just kind of how, at least for me, it was definitely, you're not alone. It was, it was like that for me too. It's so frustrating in the beginning. And I think that's why a lot of people quit. And it's, it's kind of like, I also do yoga. So I found something very similar in yoga. You know, you're trying to do these poses and they're impossible. They seem impossible. They're really, really hard. And then suddenly one day, you know, you keep trying and one day you just do it. And I felt the same way with meditation. Um, like it was like struggle and like <laughs> despair, <laughs> difficulty. And then once in a while, it, it would just happen easily where, you know, I could, I could find the space between me and my thoughts. Um, and it's, just, it's the same thing with yoga. And so, I mean, it is a struggle, but that's the whole point. And I think if you were able to slip into it easily, um, I, I think it actually wouldn't be useful. I think the whole point is the struggle. And uh, I think it's the same thing with psychedelics. You're, you're putting yourself in a potentially uncomfortable situation. Um, and the whole point of it, which is a metaphor for life, I, I believe, is to stick through it. And, and then at the end, ask yourself, what have I learned? And um, so for your, to address your question about ADD, um, I actually don't know that much about the neuroscience literature, but I follow, um, I love Gabor Mate. He's an amazing psychiatrist. Yes, um, and yeah. He, I'm reading his yeah, book right now, yeah. Scattered, Scattered Mind. Yeah, it's wonderful. Yes, yes, yes. So he has a great, he has great perspective on, on ADD. Um, but yeah, I, and then I've just found, I found all of this to be very, like all of these spiritual practices, um, what I've learned, like these little lessons, like from yoga or, or meditation um, and from psychedelics, like they really translate into your life, right? As metaphors of, okay, well, how do I deal with the situation? Um, you know, and a lot of it is just sitting, trying to be calm through difficult, painful moments. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's a lifelong process, but um, I think these tools really, they really help, which is why I, yeah, I wanted to share the knowledge because I think it's very easy to dismiss these things if you if you don't have people in your um, circle who engage in them, if you haven't tried it yourself and you haven't seen the benefits, it can be very easy to dismiss these kinds of things because they're not supported in our culture, in Western culture. Um, you, you know, time to sit and relax. It's all about, as I'm sure you know, um, you know, productivity and getting things done. And, mm-hmm. um, and where do you think like being hard on our, ourselves comes from, it comes from, you know, the conditioning, the way we, the ways we were raised, what we see from society. So uh, we do have to kind of decondition ourselves in that way to find space. Hmm. And the crucial difference I was talking about earlier, um, or at least one of the crucial differences that psychedelics provide a deep holistic healing, um, whereas mm-hmm. other practices may be more, tending towards oh yes uh, like more 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 so ex- broader experiences of divinity or unity with the universe which, which which psychedelics can do as well like dmt or high dose mushrooms but it's and and tell me if you disagree with this or or to what extent you agree but um i in some sense i feel like psychedelics are irreplaceable at least when i talk about like mdma or psilocybin or ayahuasca um, at various doses, like they, they help you uncover what's in your unconscious or subconscious. And they, they help you examine your behaviors and your patterns of conditioning. 
and where you came from and why you are the way you are and what you really need, what you're longing for, what you need more of in life, what you need to improve on. And I'm trying to think, like, is there an analog to that in any spiritual tradition, like that level of deep psychoanalysis? Because when I look at other spiritual traditions, I, I do see... Um, incredible experiences all over the board about the, the unity, the, the the dissolution of the ego, um, self transcendence, right. all those things. But I, but I, and and maybe there is some level of psychoanalysis and self examination there. Mm-hmm. But this like being on a seven, eight, ten hour like trip where you're examining your childhood or your mm-hmm. uh, a heartbreak or your depression or where, whatever issues you're dealing with. In some sense, I feel like psychedelics are are uh, unique in that respect. Would you agree? Yeah, uh, I think in comparison to spiritual practices, yes. Um, I do think that, at least from what I've read, and just to be, like, I've been trying to read a lot more psychology literature because, as I said, when, they, when you're in neuroscience grad school, they teach you about the brain, but nobody teaches you about the mind <laughs> at all. Hmm. So... Wow. I, to like go I didn't, I didn't know that. That's really interesting to yeah. know. Yes. It's mostly focused on like sensory and um, conditioning and uh, things like that. But yeah, they don't, they don't teach you anything about the mind really. So, um, mm. I, and I've, because of the psychedelics, I've been interested or in general, because of my whole journey, I was interested in exactly this, what you're talking about. Um, how do we end up <laughs> the way we end up? Um, like what are, what are the traumas from our past and how do we heal them? And it's, really sad that's actually been one of these um uh these things that keeps annoying me now that i'm in this new space is like how much our society ignores this and how there's such a lack of um information like easy to consume information um and so i've 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 been digging into the different kinds of psychology that exist like there's all these different schools of psychology um i think most people are just familiar with freud but there's so many other types and just to get at your question, I think a lot of those different kinds of um, psychological practices, which sometimes include body work um, and uh, like breath, the breath work, you know, is very healing. At least that's what I've been, <laughs> the reports and the summaries I've been reading. Um, and so I think that those which maybe they're considered spiritual practices in some traditions, I don't know, but um, those are very, very healing in the same way the psychedelics are. But I do agree with you that I, I think psychedelics are a much faster, um, direct way to get at it. And it's, it's exactly what you said there. Your, your conscious mind wants to protect you from the pain of the past. And so it doesn't allow easy access to these things that have hurt you. And so it's hard to get at them with like psychotherapy or with just sitting around and thinking about it, right? These are, we're also not trained to even, you know, we're not educated in school in any way to know how to, how to access these things. Um, And so psychedelics definitely allow a direct, a more direct route, but I do think there are other body and breath and other practices that um, at least from what I've read, allow access to uh, subconscious material as well. Um, But I'm Mm. not sure if, about other spiritual um yeah i i haven't that's an interesting question i'm gonna look this up later <laughs> yeah yeah for, for sure and uh, can we talk about some of your experiences by the way i have a few questions about that are you comfortable doing that sure yeah that, that you've written about and and then actually maybe before that can you just tell me which psychedelics you've used um at least in a more like controlled um 
explorative kind of way? Like I know 5-MeO-DMT yeah. and LSD I've read, but have you done MDMA, mushrooms, yeah. ayahuasca or anything else? I've done, I've done mushrooms. I, I've done MDMA, but not in a therapeutic setting. <laughs> um, mm. And I have Got not. Got a rave, par partying all night? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it was a party <laughs> situation. <laughs> nice. <laughs> okay, and sorry, so you said, so you said MDMA party setting, mushrooms, yep. Yeah, shrooms, LSD, and 5-MeO-DMT. Okay. Um, and mushrooms you did in a controlled guided setting? It wasn't, that wasn't guided. Um, I mean, self-guided, friend guided, but not sure. a, um, yeah, not a, um, therapeutic, not, not a professional guide. Right. Yeah. Even doing it by yourself or having a friend with you, it can still be equally therapeutic though, because it is largely self-guided yeah. and, and sometimes all the person that's sitting with you has to do is to tell you you're going to be okay if you're worrying about something or, yes. yeah. or, or, or in my experience, actually help you get through certain blockages, um, which can be crucial. But, yes. um, so yeah, I, I want to talk about some of your experiences. I, I didn't know you had done mushrooms before. Can you share any kind of, uh, profound lesson that you learned on mushrooms specifically? Yeah. The, so for each of the sessions, that I, that I do, I, I will prepare ahead of time with questions, you know, self-exploration questions that I want to answer, um, and specific intentions. And it's always different. Um, for the shrooms, it was, it wasn't a very, very large dose. I don't remember how much it was, but I mean, I've done it a few times actually, <laughs> but, um, mm. I think for, for that one, I didn't have any like transcendental. It was more personal insights, but it, I, what I can say is that with with that, it allows just like really quick access to answers <laughs> that probably I never would have gotten in a conscious, a normal conscious state, right? Um, I think that. There are self-reflection questions, you know, usually I'll always ask what's my biggest problem right now <laughs> um, just to see what comes up. Um, but a lot of times, you know, it'll just be about a specific situation and it allows me to see connections and things that I wasn't able, I wouldn't, I hadn't been able to see, um, you know, up until the session. And it just provides a lot of clarification and insight really quickly. Like there's no struggle, there's no searching. Um, it's just like, I ask a question, I muse on it for, uh, you know, a few minutes and I, I have a, a notepad and I'll, and I'll jot down what I think. And then I don't, um, dwell on it. I'll, you know, I'll, I'll look at it later after the session, but, um, then I just let my mind, you know, wander or close my eyes and I'll just kind of follow the train of thought and see where it goes. So it's, um, that's, that's usually how I do it. Uh, I, I did feel the interconnectedness of everything, um, but it wasn't like a fully, <laughs> now that I've had like a fully, um, you know, ego death with the 5-MEO and um, a higher, like a, a deeper one with LSD, I, the shrooms one was just not as intense, I would say. Mm. Okay. What, what did yeah, you do? Yeah, I, I know for, 
yeah what have i yeah i've, I've done mdma a couple of times uh-huh. and that's that's was pretty much it so far i've done microdosing a little bit but mm-hmm. I, I i'm still very new to this i i know more about psychedelics as a journalist and a researcher um mm-hmm. rather than having experienced it myself and for for mushrooms I, i've done it a couple of times at smaller doses and they tended to uh, evoke a lot of anxiety so i I'm just kind of mm-hmm. staying away from it right now and focusing more on therapy. And uh, as uh, one of my therapist friends, he, he differentiates between shadow work and light work. And he, he categorizes uh, psilocybin, LSD, and ayahuasca in shadow work and that they uncover trauma if, if, mm-hmm. if you have any of that stored there or things that you've been struggling with. Whereas other psychedelics like MDMA or mescaline he, uh, he would say are more light work and that they reveal the more beautiful things potentially. Mm-hmm. Um, although that's not really a, a strict categorization because you can have a deeply right. beautiful, spectacular trip on, on psychedelics too. But mm-hmm. some, things like masculine and MDMA tend to be more uh, positive. They tend to induce more love and uh, euphoria. So I, I've, I've written at length uh, on this on my Substack um, about my MDMA mm-hmm. trips and, and they were largely just psychotherapeutic in that they helped peel some layers of, of things that I was storing, like baggage from childhood, especially um, things that were yeah. just weighing on my conscience. And and then the real work just came afterwards with my counselor, integrating that more and more and understanding yeah. oh. why I am, the, why I am the way I am and not like beating myself up for a lot of things so much and recognizing where they came from. And so yeah. establishing more compassion. Um, I actually, I've also used um, weed which I know is not a psychedelic technically, but um, I have a friend who is a clinical psychologist and she had been doing this with some of her friends, um, kind of like group therapy with small doses of edible, uh, just edibles. And so she did it, we did it together. I just was reminded when you said it was um, the MDMA sessions were um, <laughs> a lot of psych- like very psychotherapeutic um, work because that's it was like 40 years of psychotherapy with my friend in one one afternoon um, with the edible because what was interesting wow. about what was interesting about the weed is that which I don't I don't really like weed and I, I don't have it a lot but um, it does it breaks your for me anyway it breaks your consciousness right down to to re- new moments new moment like every moment is a new moment and you lose your train of thought so, so she was saying that she liked it because it keeps you in the present moment, um, which is what mindfulness tries to do. And she said, but it, when we're doing psychotherapeutic work together, it prevents you from taking your story and holding on to your story. Um, and so she would, you know, we would talk, we'd like, we, she would ask me questions. And of course, she's a therapist, so uh, she knows what to ask and where to go. And, um, but it was really interesting because she's right. Like I, I couldn't, I couldn't hang on to my story and I would lose my train of thought. And then just the experience of watching how frustrated I would get my behaviors in response to the whole thing. Um, it, it was so fascinating and she took notes and I took notes and the whole thing was just, I couldn't believe how much I learned <laughs> about myself in one day, behaviorally, emotionally. Uh, it was insane. So it, it, I actually think, um, I think it's a really cool model. I think, yeah, even weed can be used. It was like 10 milligrams, I think. Um, 
or something like that. I don't know. I'm not, I'm not that familiar with weed, but yeah. So I just thought I would mention that. Wow. Yeah, that, that's really interesting. And uh, I do really want to talk about your 5-MeO-DMT trip and linger there for a bit. But before we do that, on LSD, from what I read, you realized that you had departed and deviated from your true self and that you had sort of yeah. put yourself in these different yeah. boxes and you were being conditioned by society to act a certain way. And that was um, preventing you from understanding and appreciating and, and living out your true nature, which you described as, uh, like, you just called it weird. <laughs> uh, and then LSD <laughs> taught you that you could be more weird. I thought yeah. it was a perfect description. And it was, it was really interesting. Can you expand on that? Yeah, yeah. It was, um, man, it, that one still, it gives me chills when I think about it because it was so interesting. Um, yeah, I had written down self-reflection questions. <laughs> this is such a, I'm so type A, so it was just funny. I like read the LSD handbook from the 50s and I ha- it was the whole thing. I had my friend read it and she's a pharmacist, so, you know, uh, I felt safe with her. Um, and about a couple hours in or maybe uh, maybe four hours into the trip, I pulled out the notebook and looked at the questions. And I remember even being skeptical that it was going to work at all. Um, and in the handbook, it talks about, okay, you, you make these self-reflection questions and then you look at them and then the answers will just come. And I remember being so skeptical. I'm like, oh my God, this isn't going to work for me, um, whatever. And so I pull out the notebook and I read the questions and um, and like just like the answers just came so quickly in my mind. Um, and I think I'm trying to remember what the question, Oh, it's, I think it was, what's my biggest problem right now or something. And then, um, yeah, the answer was like very quickly just said, you forgot who you are. Um, and yeah, you try to, you know, you try to project a version of yourself. Um, and I just had this like montage of events for my life that, um, like of all these moments that I had pretend, you know, the, the way we all do <laughs> pretend to be someone else um, or like, Oh, I should be smart. Let me, you know, let me focus on this instead of this, or, or let me not waste my time painting because I should be reading um, or all these little things, these little moments in my life that uh, where I suppressed some, you know, desire and some true aspect of myself that should have been expressed. Um, to, you know, to, to amplify a different aspect that I thought should be expressed. And it just happened within like 30 seconds. <laughs> and, it was, and I had been, I had gone to therapy, I had done breath work, I had done all this other work. And, um, and I was like, wow, in 30 seconds, I got the most clear answer. Like, and, and I didn't, I didn't just, it wasn't like I heard the words, like I, I understood. <laughs> Like I understood mind, body, spirit. I, I understood what the message was and I just got it. I'm like, okay, not going to do that anymore. Got it. <laughs> mm. It was just very clear, very quick, very profound. And then like, I just moved on to the next question. And then I just did that for maybe 30 minutes and then went back to enjoying the trip. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, it was very, very profound. Mm. And did it have any connections with your role in academia, like you being a neuroscientist? Was that oh, in any yeah. way implicated in that realization? <laughs> yes. Yeah. I think there's, I think, um, absolutely. You know, we have all these ideas of who we're supposed to be and then how you're supposed to act, especially when you get a PhD or I'm a neuroscientist. And, um, 
And I've really struggled with that a lot with, um, you know, especially even opening to spirituality was a huge challenge for me. I had the whole identity crisis. Um, I mean, being interested in anything that's not strictly scientific, I have had a lot of trouble with personally, um, because I think mm. my identity was smart scientist. And so I really struggled with that, but I'm so grateful to have recognized that and to, to break free from it. Cause God, what a terrible way to live. You know, like, I don't want to live like that anymore. I want to, um, I don't want to only read, read nonfiction science books. Like I want to read fiction. I want to paint. I want to do other things I enjoy. Um, so I think, and you know, I want to read, I want to be open to spirituality. It's so it's really, it is like breaking these chains that you didn't even realize you had, honestly. Like one of the biggest problems is we can't see what's holding us back. And that is what I like mm. about the psychedelics is it, it shows you because, it, you know, quickly, <laughs> quickly and conveniently, efficiently, <laughs> just very mm. quickly up. Here's your problem. Um, and I, I really, I have found it to be extremely, extremely valuable. Mm. Yeah, that, that's a good point that psychedelics help us see, uh, or, or sorry, how did you put it? We're, we're not able to see what's holding us back and psychedelics yeah. help us see that. They put a big flashing, shining light on that, <laughs> on the thing yeah. that's holding us back. And that's, I, after having done MDMA a couple of times and having really powerful experiences, I, it, it's tough in my day-to-day -day experience to, to have, have that deep self-awareness and this, uh, almost like this self-therapist kind of role. Like, like when you're on MDMA or I'm sure on LSD and, and ayahuasca, like you're able to um, potentially like lift up so far away from yourself that you're, you're able to see yourself in a more potentially like an objective way of like, Oh, this is where, this is where I'm hurting right now. As opposed mm -hmm. to like sort of being stuck and unconscious of your various pains, traumas, program patterns, the psychedelics mm -hmm. lift you up so high and make you recognize what it is you're missing in life. Like, Oh, I, I need to spend more time with friends. I need to work less. Yes. Like th th those, those are two of my, realizations mm. but it's uh, you know as you know obviously you can't be on psychedelics every week or even every month when yeah. you're busy doing other things like i am and like you are that that is yeah. um it is difficult to break out of your programmed behavior and to really see what's holding you back yeah yeah it's really really very helpful um and even if um just to open you to that concept of oh okay there are there are things I'm unaware of that are guiding my behavior. And if you're not, you know, happy um, with certain aspects of your life, uh, you know, maybe that's related. And how do I address that? And the answer doesn't always have to be psychedelics, but just the fact that it can make you aware of that is already useful, right? And then you can go and pursue other methods, like maybe therapy is helpful for you, you know, or, or breath work or whatever it is, but just becoming aware of that is, is very valuable. Hmm. Well, one thing I'll share with you, and I, I'm curious if this resonates with you at all. Um, this is for my, I think my second MDMA trip, both of them were guided in December and, and February. Um, mm -hmm. And the second one, it just um, made me realize how uh, stuck and addicted I am to the rational part of my brain, like always thinking 
formulating yes. mathematically, like processing things, even though I'm not yeah. a scientist, but I'm a very rational thinker. So when I'm writing articles, mm-hmm. writing about complex public policy issues or, uh, or, or even just softer cultural issues, like as I'm writing, um, e- even if it's not uh, political or cultural or scientific, just the process of engaging my rational mind so continually every day, it, yeah. it robs me of other sources of well-being happiness joy and fulfillment and uh i I think um since i graduated from high school in 2019 so i'm still fairly young but after that Mm -hmm. um the the pandemic started and everybody was locked inside their homes and Mm -hmm. um and then then me becoming a journalist and working online and writing articles um it just put me and it isolated me in this very um quiet uh, environment where i'm left kind of to my own thoughts and processing yeah. these very interesting things and it, it was hard like like I never realized how much it was making me miserable or stuck or isolated and so on on the MDMA trip it was like I, I was like feeling emotions for the first time in a very long time like in my um, body yes. like in my in my yeah. heart in my soul it was so beautiful yeah. um, and it made me realize how wh- when I'm always writing and rationally processing things i'm not able to be like actually in the moment and enjoy other things in life and actually do things that don't have like a meaning or a purpose but are just fun and so i'm I'm curious if if that resonates with you yeah um, at all as as a neuroscientist who's also dedicated to rationally understanding things from a scientific worldview um like have the psychedelics helped apply a certain balance to your life or Open yeah, you up definitely. To devoting more time towards spirituality or leisure or social or romantic life yes. in any kind of way. Yes. Yeah, everything. Um, yeah, definitely. I, I have the same problem. I've had that problem for many, many, many more years than you. <laughs> um, <laughs> and it's, uh, yeah, because I think, um, I think Western culture is kind, you know, kind of, um, prioritizes rationality and logical thinking and kind of, you know, minimizes the the softer um, aspects of our natures, I would say, our human nature. And, um, and I think in science, that's especially true. And there's just, yeah, so much value placed on your thinking, your ability to make connections to, you know, uh, have new insights and, um, I mean, as as I mentioned, that became a huge part of my identity. And so to let go of that was to lose parts of myself. And that was really hard. But um, but in the end, it was it made me happier. It made me much happier. Um, and, and I did, you know, like I said, I, I started painting. I, and I used to read fiction a lot. And then somewhere in after grad school, I just like stopped. <laughs> I mean, I would sometimes listen to audiobooks, but like I had a real passion for for uh, literature and fiction my whole life. Uh, and then at some point in the last, I don't know, couple of years or like after grad school, I was just like, oh, I should be, you know, I should be using my time to read scientific books or I should be reading politics. Like I used to be so into politics. Um, and then, yeah, with all of this, the last couple of years with the, the, the spiritual opening, the psychedelics I'm like you know what no (laughs) like those things don't like they make me happy and I and I still want to do them but there are other things that make me happy that I want to do that are not happening (laughs) that are not I'm not doing them 
And that was part of what the insight from LSD was. And, and, and just to say one more thing, it's the, um, it's coming out of my, not even just activities, like literally just uh, the, the meditation has helped me do that. Find the space between my thoughts, like slow my brain down, take a breath, be mindful, um, and just kind of feel into my body and my emotions more, which again, I don't think we're taught to do. We're like taught to actively avoid <laughs> emotions and, you know, it's a waste of time. Don't express them. And that's actually not how you heal. Like the the way that you don't store trauma in your body is to feel through the emotions and feel through those difficult things, um, you know, so that they don't get trapped in you and keep coming up for the rest of your life. And ever since I've been, you know, reading all this psychology literature and all, all about trauma and stuff, like I've made a very active effort to, to do that, to bring my awareness to my body and my emotions and, um, you know, not neglect them anymore because you know because my rational mind needs to <laughs> to write this article or read this review or whatever um and you know of course it, it, everything is about balance so it's the challenge is finding the balance but um yeah i can say 100 percent, i'm so much happier i'm such a more well-balanced person it has only served me um for the better so uh yeah mm. I, i'm with you on that and uh, before we get into your DMT experience, were you able to let go of those parts of yourself that you deemed to be no longer important or helping you be mindful, yeah. happy, joyful in your life? Like, was it difficult or um, was also, excruciating? Also, yeah, <laughs> was it? It was excruciating. Yeah, but sorry, go, wow. you were going to ask another question. Yeah, I was also going to say, like, uh, integrating that LSD experience for you, like, was it a matter of working less? Like you mentioned, painting more, opening up to spirituality, reading other things. Mm -hmm. um, was that difficult for you? Yeah. Uh, integrating yes. those things? Did it take some time? Yes. Was there, after the trip, was there some uh, ego-driven, like, resistance towards it? Um, there was resistance but it does take time to integrate these things because okay here's the neuroscience part of me your behavioral patterns are you know they're neural patterns that are set and it is hard to change behaviors so i do think one thing to keep in mind is you know uh behaviors might not flip overnight from a psychedelic trip they might they might not that's okay you know and what but like I said, what's important is the awareness to the issue. Just bringing your consciousness to the issue is the first step. Once you've like become aware of the problem, then you can work to um, address it. So for me, for example, from that trip, the insight was uh, you project who you think you're supposed to be, you know, like smart, <laughs> uh, only interested in science at the cost of who you really are, uh, which is a person who's interested in other things that are not related to science. and uh, that that the scientist part of me thinks are stupid um, to finish that loop. And so while this was a very clear insight um, coming out of the trip, it's like, okay, behaviorally, what am I supposed to do now? <laughs> I mean, I did start painting prolifically, um, but that was easy because that's a personal thing. But the other thing was, okay, so when I'm talking to people, um, you know, I would edit my interests. 
Like I wouldn't tell people, oh, I'm interested in meditation or, oh, I'm interested in, you know, whatever weird thing I might be interested in, which I'm interested in a lot of things because I'm human. <laughs> like, you know, anything you find weird and interesting, we all do. It's like the world is a weird place. Um, I would, but, I, you know, I would present to people, oh, I'm a very serious person. I'm interested in science and politics. Um, and so after the trip, it's like, okay, when I interact with people, let me make an effort to not do that. But that's hard, <laughs> you know, that's because it's like a lot of this stuff comes from childhood. It's like, I probably felt like I wasn't smart enough at some point, And that's why I wanted to be a scientist. And so I have all these, you know, self-worth tied up in my scientific identity. And now I'm trying to change that. I mean, you, you start to get it like your, your core identity, your core beliefs, your core foundation of who you are. It's really hard to change those things. Um, but like I said, I, I mean, I've done it and coming out the other end of it, I'm so much happier, <laughs> so much happier. So it's now I don't, I don't have to edit, you know, I can just be who I am. Um, I mean, I'm sure the journey's not over yet, but at least as part of it. And so it's worth it, but it's not easy. And it takes a lot of, it takes a while. It could, it, I don't know how long it took. It probably took, let's see, I, it's taken a year. So I think mm. that that integration piece is really important because it's, it's, it is, it's work. Look, it's work. <laughs> it's work. You're going to, you're going to have to keep working at it because these are deep seated things in your mind, body, and spirit, right? These are very deep things that you, you're asking to change. They don't change overnight. They can, I mean, for some people, but you know, like, at least for me, that was something that I had to slowly chip away at slowly. I mean, you also don't want to shock your system, right? Like <laughs> you want to, you know, like, okay, let me with this encounter, try being who I am, but let me, you know, like you can slowly, that's why it's called integration. Like you slowly start to integrate the new pieces of yourself. Um, mm. So that's not a total shock. Yeah. Yeah. You, you're absolutely right about that. And it is difficult to integrate these things and it takes a lot of time. Um, mm -hmm. And oftentimes, you know, you're, you're a few months in after your trip, but there's still that vivid impression at least of that experience you had that can help inform your present experience. And so even though my last MDMA trip was in February, sometimes even very recently the past couple of weeks as I've been working a, a lot more than usual because a lot of things have come my way there is this voice in my head. There is this feeling of, oh, um, like there's a greater awareness of what I'm doing and the difference between what I'm doing now and what I experienced on the MDMA, which was being more in the present moment and feeling and letting go as opposed to rationally processing things and being stuck at a laptop, you know, grinding away at, at s several things. It's like, there's always like a reminder in my head of like, I need to take a break from work. I need to seek something else potentially. And it, it's, it's still hard. It's still challenging to create those boundaries. But I, I think without those experiences, there at least wouldn't be that awareness of mm -hmm. that yeah. deeper immersive um, emotional experience um, that I had twice. Um, and then there would just be, I think more of a willingness to just lean in and to just keep working and working um, without a, a deeper understanding of what human experience can actually be like, um, like that there is something beyond just rationality, science, uh, uh, any kind of ordinary 
um, work-related thing that you're doing, um, especially for people who are very studious or productive or spend a lot of time devoted to their craft, whether, you know, like we're, we're both Substack writers and, uh, and obviously do things outside of that. And it's, it's sometimes difficult to um, take a step away from it because there's so many endless amount of things to do. And so you get continually tied up and constrained by your own work because it demands so much from you. But you, mm-hmm. I think you and I both having had the psychedelic experiences, it can provide that awareness of, oh, there is actually more to experience than just work that I can be, I think, a valuable and yeah. um, interesting human being outside of my work, too, that I can engage in other mm-hmm. things that are just as important. And, and while it may not translate to a really big article or to something materially productive or economically fruitful, it can still be fun and beautiful and nourishing and really important to maintain your well-being. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, I think you nailed it. (laughs) It's very true. And it's it's a challenge. It really goes against, um, you know, mainstream narrative, uh, kind of Western culture. So it does, it's hard for us to do that. But I, I agree with you. And like you said, behaviors take a while to change. So, you know, understanding that um, helps you have compassion for yourself too in the whole process because uh, it's, it's not linear. Uh, it's not, you know, behavior change is not linear. So it, it, you'll have good days, you'll have bad days. And that's why it takes a while. But I think that's a good thing because like I said, at least it doesn't shock you. Um, kind of eases you into the new place you want to be. Mm. Yeah. And, and one other thing before we get into your DMT experience, and that's like, when you talk about behavior and changing behavior, sometimes you're unconscious about your behavior. Sometimes it's not vividly clear to you what exactly your behavior is. And it's just kind of stored sometimes in your body or in your mind. And I'm curious if you have any thoughts about this or if you've studied this in any way, but for me, for my MDMA experiences and from doing therapy, there was a realization that there is a deep stored fear mechanism that's very much for me physical as well as it is psychological. And I wasn't really oh, yeah. um, aware of it before, but for me, it's all, all sorts of things and anything social, uh, romantic or work related or like, like just f- physical pain on, on the one hand. It's like there's like this unconscious behavioral response of like pain means bad and any kind of challenge is bad and it's difficult. And so there's this deep aversion um, and moving away, like running away from um, any kind of pain or hardship. And I think more so than the, than than the average person, if I could put it that way, at at least in comparison to many other people that I know, they tend to have a, an easier time dealing with hardship where I, whereas I tend Mm -hmm. to have a very strong aversion towards it. And so it's, it's very difficult coming out of that programmed way of uh, being and looking at the world, but um, I am kind of slowly getting there. Um, and, and, and again, I don't know if you have any experience with that or if you, um, yeah. yeah. Well, I'm not an expert in it, but I am, a, I am obsessed with it personally. And so, like I said, I've been doing all this reading about psychology and, um, and then even in myself, all this self-exploration, I'm super interested in the way that our physical behavioral patterns um, are connected to our psychological ones. And even simple this little things like, uh, yeah, like if you, uh, like these are the things that people are unaware of. Like, for example, let's say um, 
I can't let, uh, let's say you know, let's say you're you're have uh, romantic relationships that um, you, you know like constantly fall apart or they um, they become emotionally unavailable. Um, but if you've ever watched these, like I love these um, <laughs> these couple therapy um, shows because you you can like they'll point out like oh when he was talking to you like you didn't you weren't looking at him at all you know like there's all these like little physical behavioral things that I'm super interested in that like there are unconscious ways that like your your you know you have these beliefs in your 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 unconscious mind that you know influence the way that you move and behave in the physical world that um, affects the way of course people interact with you and so these I'm so I'm super interested, but I'm not an expert in it at all. I'm just currently learning about it as I go along. Um, but that's why, like, some people create these these you know situations keep happening to them, similar ones like these repeated patterns in their life, and they and they, they're kind of like, why does this keep happening to me? And you know, a lot of times it, it might be useful to step back and look at like, well, how are you behaving? And it's not that it's your fault. Like again, this is all like our biology. Um, you know, it's just the way that we are. So it's not to blame you for things that have happened to you, but to actually empower you and say, oh, well, what if you can come back and, you know, back up and look at your unconscious beliefs, um, your conditioning, and the way that those are being expressed in your physical body that then, you know, affects how people interact with you. Um, and we all know that, right? There's some people who are standoffish, but they don't think they are. <laughs> um, people who don't smile, you know, there's all these little behavioral things that can really influence how people, you know, how opportunities come to you or how people approach you, like all those things matter. So I'm not an expert, but like you, I'm very interested in it because I, I know now from all this reading that it's all connected. Mm. Mm. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with you. And uh, can, can we move towards your DMT experience now? Because I was reading it this morning and it was incredibly fascinating and it brought up yeah. several questions in my mind. So, so to, to set this up, 5-MeO-DMT is what many people describe to be the most potent psychedelic substance on planet Earth. And it mm -hmm. is more potent than just normal DMT. Um, and yeah. I'm not exactly, I can't exactly recall the, the differences between the two, but I know 5-MeO-DMT yeah. is usually derived from toad venom of all mm -hmm. strange, bizarre places. <laughs> um, but but yeah. it is more powerful than regular DMT, which in itself is incredibly powerful. And and I actually had the opportunity to do DMT a few months ago, but I, I just decided for myself um, at this point in my yeah. journey at 21 years old, I just thought that I'm dealing with a lot of issues right now in this kind of dimension. <laughs> and and yeah, I think yes. exposure to that, I think exposure to a higher dimension is undoubtedly, I think um, if I, if I remain on the same trajectory and if my views stay more or less the same on, on the psychedelics, I think I'd I'd like to definitely do that at some point in the future, but I still want to more so focus right now on my current, you know, social self behavioral issues. Um, yeah. So, so, but yeah, so like, let's talk it's about your choice. DMT. Maybe. Yeah. Yeah. Let's talk about yeah. your DMT experience. Why, why did you choose to do it? And just, just maybe just start describing yeah. um, what it was like. And then I have a few questions about um, just integrating that experience and how it flowed into your real life. There were some interesting things there. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, it's funny story. Uh, I didn't know that I was doing 5-MeO-DMT. Um, <laughs> so what happened was that 
I had a friend who wanted to do uh, ayahuasca and he, but we, you know, we couldn't um, find a facilitator that we liked. And so um, what happened is we did find this um, retreat uh, and these facilitators that we, we liked a lot. Um, and, but they did 5-MeO-DMT. That was the substance that they were using. So anyway, at the time, even though I had done a lot of um, reading and research on psychedelics, I wasn't uh, fully aware of the differences between 5-MeO-DMT and regular DMT or NN-DMT. And so um, I didn't, I just didn't understand. And for some reason, it's also like this weird, sometimes I swear you're like this cosmic joke that I didn't just Google it. Um, I, I didn't. I don't know why I didn't. <laughs> I don't know why I didn't look up a podcast. It was very unlike me. Um, but I think I was kind of like, oh, I, you know, we'll just, I don't want to psych myself up too much. I don't want to worry. I just want to do it. <laughs> but because of that, I didn't realize that they are two very different substances. <laughs> so I thought I was doing NNDMT basically until the last moment. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so, uh, but I did start to, um, and so the differences between the two are, yeah, like you said, 5-MeO is much stronger. It's, um, I think it, it gives most, many people, uh, up to like 50% of people a near death experience, which I, um, which I had, I didn't write that in the newsletter, but, um, and it's just very, very, it's just very strong. And so with, with regular, with NNDMT, I think it's more of what you're talking about, like going to another dimension, like you'll see fractal geometry, you might encounter entities. Um, you kind of just like exit this reality and enter a different reality. And then 20 to 30 minutes later, you're back. And 5-MeO is similar in that way, in that you smoke it and within like three seconds, you're gone. Um, but the space that you enter is very uh, different. It's it differs so much for everyone. So I've had a few friends do it and all of our experiences were super different from each other. So it's so variable, but we all um, came out of it completely transformed. <laughs> uh, like new person, totally new person. And so wow. for me, it, it was, um, for me, we did it twice in one night and the first time, um, the first time I, I, I felt I had one of those, like, Oh, I, I think I lost my mind. Oh, I actually lost my mind. I'm going to be crazy forever. Um, like for <laughs> a few, a few seconds, because the whole, the whole thing is not very long, although there's no time on the other side, but, um, yeah, that's why I was like, Oh, okay. I lost my mind. I'm going to be in a mental side. Uh, like, this is why they told me not to do drugs. Um, and then that <laughs> passed and then my body dissolved and then I was just like a consciousness, like a, like a piece of consciousness. And I felt the universe tugging me to dissolve. And we had done all this work beforehand the week before to behold, to surrender, to be curious. And I remember I was resisting. And then I remembered like the things we had, um, which is funny. I say remember because it's not like my brain was working, but something like, occurred to me that I should let go, um, that, that I came here to let go. And so then I, I let go and, and I 
ceased to exist. My identity disappeared and I became the entire universe. I became all of space and time. And um, I mean, obviously. Well, well, yeah. I like how just casually just throwing that in there. I just became the universe. My identity dissolved. <laughs> Those are big fucking yeah. things, man. <laughs> that, is, yeah. that, is, that is pretty huge. I mean, like, like, what do you mean when you, what do you mean when you say that? And I, and I know I'm not like just being annoying and skeptical because yeah, I, because yeah. I, because I believe you that those things are real to you. But w- what do you mean is like, how, how did you feel that you became the universe? Was it like in your body, in your mind? Was it a vision or a feeling? Yeah. So let's see. Um, so imagine, I'm trying to think of how to explain it. I mean, it's hard to explain, but imagine a ball yeah. of light you are the ball of light and and the that's what i was that was my consciousness and then i felt the universe pulling me to pull me apart from every direction and like i said i was resisting and finally i just let go like i was able to this like it's actually a feeling a physical feeling of like i'm letting go <laughs> and so i let go and the universe pulled me in every direction so in a 3d space except it was yeah, whatever. I mean, it felt like higher dimensions, but who knows? Um, I was pulled in every single direction and my, again, I don't know how better to describe I didn't exist, but I didn't, I was gone. There was no more me. There was no identity left. There was no ego. There was nothing except that I broke into a million pieces of light and I, every one of those pieces was conscious and was me, but it wasn't my ego. It wasn't my like normal Mona everyday ego, but I broke into pieces and I was every single one of those pieces. And then I was pulled in 3D into every corner of the universe and I could feel it. I can still feel it actually when I think about it. Like it, it was an embodied feeling of I felt every corner of the whole entire universe and I was every corner of it. And so it's a feeling of expansion, like, um, and, and yeah, like expansion, like you're actively expanding. That's what it was. I was flying out, flying out in every direction. And I was each piece of it all at once. (laughs) Sounds insane, but that's what I, that's what it was. And yeah, it was like a feeling like I became it. It wasn't like I was watching it or anything like I still feel, I can still feel it. I can still access that um expansive state so Mm. that was the that was the first one and then the second trip i um had a near-death experience where i thought i had actually died and and that was traumatic in that i was like shit i didn't mean to, to od i this was a mistake i didn't get to say goodbye to anyone <laughs> um and uh you know grief and mourning and regret and but um, I didn't think about anything but my friends and family. And then so when I came back from the trip, I was just like, oh, my God, when you die, all that matters are the people you know and the relationships you have. That's it. <laughs> like You're not going to think about anything else. Mm. And so um, I was so grateful to be alive and. I was not grateful. This sounds terrible. I'm not a a depressive person, but I just was not grateful to be alive before. Like I, I just didn't really, um, Mm. it didn't occur to me. Like I would kind of tolerate life. But after that, I was like, I was like (laughs) kissing the ground. 
I was hugging myself. I was like, I'm so happy to be alive. (laughs) I'm so glad I didn't die. (laughs) And it, uh, it, it really surprised me and it really changed my life. Like ever since that moment. So, uh, I mean, that was my experience, but, um, uh, my friends, my other friends, you know, they had other experiences. Like I just became white light. I was the high vibration. You know, one of my friends said I was all and all was love. Um, mm. and so it's very different for everyone, but everyone came back like completely changed, <laughs> like just <laughs> completely new people. Um, so it's very profound. I, it's, it's very intense. After that one, you know, I think I was like a psychedelic evangelist beforehand, like one of those annoying people. And then after the five MEO, I was like, I'm just going to quietly sit here (laughs) and I will tell whoever wants to know, but I will, I will not, (laughs) I will not promote. (laughs) It's like, cause it's just very serious and intense, you know, and you just have to be very prepared. It's not a joke. It's, it's, you know, it's, Mm. it's, it's a lot. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, and and the first trip you describe is profound in, in and of itself, and I'm just surprised that you would want to do it again in the same night. Like, from what I understand, that's pretty unusual, right? When people do DMD once, they don't just do it again the same night, right? I don't know. I mean, I've heard some places do it um, okay. two, two to three times. Um, oh, really? And, I didn't know that. Yeah, I, and I, I mean... I didn't want to do it again. I think part of me was kind of like, that was enough. But, you know, the other part of me was like, well, well, let's just see. <laughs> let's just see what else, what else we can get, what else we came here for. So, um, yeah, it was definitely, and I think after the experience, I was like, I'm, I'll never do that again. And then after a few months, I was like, I would do that again. Yeah. <laughs> because it just continued to integrate you know um and it has i've continued to i did that in january so i've continued to integrate it it's there's a lot of deep lessons there you know a a lot (laughs) and a lot of Mm. things i saw and felt and became that take a long time to process and and it was a difficult trip it was what some people call a challenging trip because the the near-death experience part was was extremely challenging um, that, and I had to re-sit with those emotions in meditation and feel through them so that they didn't haunt me (laughs) and, um, you know, and like face that kind of like, okay, I had anxiety about that. Why did I have anxiety? Let me sit with that. Let me just let it pass through me. Um, so it's all been very, you know, it's, it's a long journey, um, to work Mm. through it, but it it definitely changed my life. Um, Mm. there's, before 5MEO and after 5MEO. And the first trip you described as you merging with the, you you called it the universe. Mm -hmm. Um, Was that, I'm I'm curious how much of that wording is based on your own biases and who you are. I mean, like like the universe in in Hinduism, the universe is God. God is the universe. And Mm -hmm. God is in the hearts of everybody and everything. And it's kind of like the, the player of all parts, the big cosmic drama, yeah. as Alan, Alan Watts talked about, um, and and so so somebody with a different vocabulary might call that um, Brahma. It, it, and actually, I'm, I'm going to have somebody, I'm going to have somebody um, actually come on. Um, one of my therapist friends, Carson Kavari, um, who's the clinic director at Thrive Downtown, that does psychedelic therapy. 
uh, he did 5-MeO-DMT and he described it as a Brahman experience, very much using more of a Hindu terminology. But but even he said like that's that that's just a worldview. And, and I think he said it just like those prior definitions and conceptions just collapsed um, on themselves. And it was just a indescribable experience that you can say the universe, a Christian might call that God or somebody might call it Brahman. Like these are words and ideas that are intellectual and religious for some people. But really the, the words aim at something that can't really be put into words. And so there are inherent limitations. And so different people with different biases and different backgrounds and religious upbringings are going to potentially interpret those things in perhaps radically different ways or, or just slightly different ways. Like, like somebody might just use a bit of a, a different terminology, but if it comes down to like self-transcendence, which is just on the one hand, very simple, but like um, people who describe merging into the universe or experiencing ego dissolution or oneness, we're all, distinctions collapse and there's just one unified field of you can call it divinity or something sublime or the universe mm. or god but there's a sense of oneness that's a pretty common religious experience within uh, uh orthodox christianity I, I had a friend recently who came and talked about his experiences at an orthodox christian retreat and, and very much so in, in deep meditation in a buddhist or a hindu context there's this a common denominator of oneness of being indistinguishable from the divine um, in these deep mm -hmm. mystical states. Um, so I'm, I'm curious what, um, yeah, um, uh, like how you acknowledge your own bias and your own experiences and in interpreting what you interpret. Well, yeah. So the reason I say universe is because it was literally the universe. Like there were stars, like it was black and there were stars. And so um, the sense was that it was the universe because there were stars everywhere, but um, the other thing is that I wanted to have a spiritual experience. Like I was like, let me meet my spirit guides or let me meet God. I actually wanted and was expecting that. So I was actually disappointed <laughs> to not have had any kind of like, like, I mean, I had a spiritual mystical experience by the definition of it, but I didn't feel like I met God or anything, but I had wanted to. So um, I was actually disappointed. I mean, but they always say you get what you need. And um, actually one of my, when I was coming down off of the trip, um, I heard like in my head, um, like when I was coming down, uh, anyway, I heard kind of like, this is what you needed. <laughs> so, um, like, and, you know, that's another thing with these with these trips is it's like this meaning making like you have to make meaning out of it for yourself. That's the whole exercise. Um, that's the whole healing part of it. And one of my things was that was kind of like, oh, well, I wanted to uh, see a spirit or something or like have some kind of experience, like meet or feel an intelligence, you know, like uh, or something. And I and I just didn't. And uh, it is what it is. I mean, you know, I, I still might, I still believe the universe is intelligent, <laughs> but I believe that in that experience, and yeah, you're right, we can all use different language. I'm comfortable with the word universe or cosmos. Um, I'm not comfortable with religious terminology, but, um, you know, regardless, like I believe that and I want that, but 
in that experience, I got what I needed. And the job for me is to understand why, you know, and how that helps me and, and what I'm supposed to gain from that. So, and it's, that's personal, but I do think I figured it out. <laughs> mm. Yeah, there's so many different definitions and understandings of divinity and, you know, different people are chasing after different things. But th there is this interesting quote, I think, from a Christian mystic by the name of Meister Eckhart, um, mm. who uh, in Germany several uh, centuries ago um, of Catholic origin. But he was a mystic and he had a bit of a... Um, a bit of a heterodox view of Christianity. And, and like all mystics, um, he was very much about the direct experience of God as opposed to just getting the ideas right or subscribing to um, all the different things that you had to. Um, and, and one of the quotes uh, he had was, uh, he who doesn't see God in everything can't see God in anything. And so mm -hmm. that, that's, that's very similar to Hindu ideas as well of, of acknowledging divinity within the trees, within yourself, within other people, like seeing the divine express itself in all different, beautiful and sometimes tragic ways. And mm -hmm. I think some people can maybe get lost in, you know, finding God and they never find that God that they're looking for because it's an idea in their head and mm -hmm. they've sort of been misled perhaps by certain things or they're just not able to see what's right in front of their eyes, which might be the 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 divine or the universe expressing itself in some really profound beautiful way mm -hmm. yeah I, I really i love that that's actually going to give me something to think about later <laughs> <laughs> yeah for sure. so so integrating this experience uh, i think that's a, a good place to go forward you mentioned in your essay that it was hard for you to pay attention or focus on ordinary work tasks i believe that there was something oh, going on in your mind after Experience that made it very difficult. I'm very curious about that. Like, was that undoubtedly a negative thing? Like, were you less productive uh, or, or was there any oh. positives to it? I mean, for like a week, I was less productive, but, um, I, you know, it, it eventually subsided. Um, I think it was, uh, yeah, I mean, in regards to work, yeah, it was just a little bit like, I couldn't focus because I, I mean, <laughs> once you merge with the universe, it's hard to come back and like look at your surroundings and it's just, it's, it really, it honestly was very, they call it, you know, in psychedelic literature, like it's an ontological shock. So 5-MADMT was definitely an ontological shock. Like I, I was like, what comprises reality and my reality testing was a little bit um, shaken. And because what I experienced felt so real, uh, you know, more real than real, like they, like all the literature says. And so you kind of come back confused, like, well, if that was more real than real, and this is real, what's real? <laughs> you know? And you're like, just right. a little untethered. And so it was, and that can, you know, you're distracted by that. Um, and I think the day after too, my body still felt literally like half of me was still in the universe. Like I felt very, I don't know how to explain it, but very, um, dissolved. And so it was like just a my, whole mind body, like, uh, 
process to get back to, to normal. It took like a few weeks. And actually the studies on 5-MeO, like which I read later show, at least in um, animal studies, like some neuroplasticity for up to 90 days. So it's like, you know, really is kind of a reset of a lot of things in your body. Um, and you're just like slowly adjusting to that. But I would say after, yeah, and like a, a lot of people say this too, like I didn't want to have any alcohol. Like I didn't drink for maybe a month uh, and I could have gone on. I just didn't want alcohol anymore. I didn't want anything. I didn't want any kind of altered state. I, I just wanted to be in the moment. Um, so it's just very, very- I've had the same experience, by the way. I've had, I've had the same experience after doing uh, MDMA. Um, and, and since then, actually, it's lasted for a while, and there's some parallel health issues surrounding that as well. But there was this mm -hmm. desire of, I don't want to be inebriated. I don't want to be in that yes. state where yeah. I'm more numb, where I'm more numb and more unconscious, which is what yeah. most people feel like when they're on alcohol. Whereas yeah. in the psychedelic state, um, at least in the MDMA state, and of course, on mushrooms and other things, it, it's, you're, you're really feeling things, you're not becoming numb to things, you're, you're, you're yeah. learning to feel senses that you didn't know you had. And so it's very different that al alcohol can sometimes just further spiral you down into a path of being yeah. more and more unconscious of what's actually going on in your mind and body. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that, so that happened after. And um, so for a little while, that was kind of just like the perceptual behavioral stuff that I had to adjust to. And then the re um, relating with others, piece that I wrote about um, in the newsletter was, yeah, it just became, well, first of all, it's like hard to explain, as you can see, as I'm, even as I'm trying to describe it to you, it's difficult to find words and nothing will ever do it justice. Um, and so you just kind of come back, like looking at the people around you, like, oh, they'll never understand. <laughs> and so it can feel very lonely. And, um, and sometimes, you know, I would just, yeah, I would have these very philosophical moments of like, wow, like I've just, you know, I've changed so much. Is anything ever going to be the same again? Um, but it is, and everything's fine now. But it, it is a process to kind of go through, which again, I think the journey, I think every part of the journey is useful in some way. So I think even that exercise, even those feelings, even that experience, it's all, you know, informative. It helps you learn how to deal with other things in your life later so i don't know i'm grateful for all of it mm. and and what are some of those lessons that you were most able to integrate like was there you meant you mentioned the appreciation for ordinary existence you said you were like kissing the ground yes. you're much more yes. appreciative <laughs> was, was there anything else spiritually or in terms of your identity your mm. relationships to other people anything like that It mostly it was that. Wait, let me think for a second. Oh no, there was another one. Um, mostly it was that though. I mean, the biggest thing was just gratitude for being alive and gratitude for every single little thing. Like it was so funny. I was like walking around my apartment when I came back, just enjoying every piece of like fabric, of furniture, like everything had beauty. And um, the other, wow. the other lesson was. Um, I think I like it was it was about it was about reaching out. Um, it was about friendship and relationships and people in your life, and it was about reaching out when 
you, I, I don't know, I guess it was tied to the, the near-death experience, but yeah, kind of like, uh, you know, the relationships are important in your life. And, you know, if you go, like, these are the things, these are the binds that are important. And um, if you feel, you know, kind of like you could be gone in a moment. So if you have an urge to reach out to someone, you should reach out. <laughs> that was kind of the sense, like a lesson that I, that I took from it was like, cause of the, the quickness of, you know, how quickly I thought I had actually died. Um, you know, like coming back from that was like, okay, wow. Like you could really be gone in a moment. So, you know, if you need someone, you should reach out to them. Like, don't wait. So that mm. was something. Yeah. Yeah. I think those insights are all very powerful and positive because in, in my life and, and I would say maybe even mo most people's life, like it, it's, it's hard to sometimes appreciate the little things to really value the beauty that's in your life, within your family, within your own home. Um, yeah. And, you know, meditation definitely helps with that and psychedelic trips for, for sure. I, I know many people who have a heightened appreciation for the things in their life that they've become very accustomed to and take for granted and have lost the sense of sacredness in their life. Like this moment is truly beautiful yeah. and, and, and it's, it's the only time that it will pass. Like right now is only right now. And in a few minutes like that right now is going to be gone. And in a few years you'll be in a different place. Um, and that's, that's very difficult to, to do that and to really appreciate what's in front of you when, you know, us as humans are very repetitive and we get up and do the same things every day. So it's hard to appreciate the mundane. And so I think temporarily departing from your repetitive, ordinary existence, whether that's meditation or in the more radical way within psychedelics, um, mm -hmm. it, I, I think coming back from that can offer a much more refreshing perspective on what your life actually is and what it means and how you relate to other people. Yeah. Uh, I absolutely agree. And of course, beyond that too, I assume that there was just after having that deeply transcendental experience to put it in some limited terminology, like, like that transcendental experience of course is going to make you more curious or appreciate more, the wonder, the mystery, the ineffable, um, that, that, that is part of life. Like, yeah, I'm sure you've, you've opened up more to spiritual traditions or you have perhaps more curiosity about things that we just can't really yeah. understand in any easy way. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, after the experience, I did come back also like thinking, <laughs> uh, and one of my friends that did, it was a neuroscientist too. And I was like, you know, I just don't know how anyone can even study the brain without doing psychedelics. Like, what are we even doing? Like, this is ridiculous. <laughs> like, we're only studying, like, 10% of, you know, what our brains are capable of experiencing. And so we kind of had this joke, like, yeah, every scientist should do, neuroscientist should do 5-MeO-DMT, which, of course, we're joking, and that's not true. But um, it was that profound of a shift, because it was just like, whoa, holy shit. Like, I didn't know I was capable of <laughs> experiencing all that, that my brain could have that. And so, you know, it's it's... And, and the spirit, you know, just the mystery of it all, of, of why, why is the default when you take these 
substances or when you enter these altered states, why is it default to go to this kind of ineffable, sacred, uh, you know, love state? Um, like, I think that's a really interesting question. <laughs> it's a very big mystery. And again, I don't think that explaining it away with physiology explains anything. I think it's really uh, a very, it's a mystery. It's a mystery we don't have an answer to, but it's one worth looking into, I, I think. Mm. I, I totally agree with you. Um, it's been great talking to you. This has been really enjoyable. Yes. I really appreciate your you perspective. So talking about your DMT experience. And I think one other thing I'll say too, is like, like just having conversations like this in my experience, um, which I, I didn't really talk about my trips in great depth, but I, I've done that many times with friends and, and with yeah. my counselor as well, but, but with family, um, uh, people in my family that I trust who I can talk to about it, or usually just friends, like actually just talking about the experience can be very therapeutic. So in, yeah. in some way, like, you know, you expressing what you did is going to potentially prompt further self-reflection and going deeper into these experiences. And I think that's oftentimes potentially missed. Maybe people who are not as socially open, perhaps about their experiences or don't have as big of a circle. It's like talking about it is very, very important. And that can be like, it doesn't even have to be a counselor or somebody you have to pay money uh, for, for their time. It can just be somebody that you trust and really breaking it down can help you understand and come to uh, a deeper appreciation for what you actually experienced and how it relates to yourself and your relationships with the, with other people and with the universe at large. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I agree. Talking about it every time you, every time you do, um, there's new insights, there's new perspectives. So it's healing every time. I agree. Uh, before we go, does anybody have any questions? Sometimes they have a question or two at the end for the guest speaker. Uh, if anybody does, you can ask to be a caller and you can ask your question. Otherwise, we'll uh, wrap it up here in a second. But I, I, I wish you best of luck with your with your newsletter. Um, I, I hope I hope your audience grows there. I hope more and more people read your newsletter because it, it is truly fantastic, and I learn a lot from it. So I yeah, hope it grows. Thank you. I, yeah. Okay. I mean, I'm happy to just have it out there. I hope it's useful for someone. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I, thank you so much. We have, what, oh, we have one caller here. Are you, oh. do you, are you fine with taking a question? I, yeah, I can do one quick. Mm -hmm. Sure. Okay. Hi, Mona. Hi. Hi, in your neuroscience experience, have you dealt with ADHD much? Uh, so I have, I have not, <laughs> but I was okay. talking about this briefly earlier. I do recommend, uh, I think Gabor Mate has some great work on that. I would recommend his work. Okay, because I know that with um, ADHD, it kind of leaves your default mode network on all the time and psychedelics kind of take that off. So I was just wondering if you knew anything about that, but that's fine. I'll look into it further. Yeah. Thank you. No, sorry. Yeah, not my expertise. <laughs> no problem. All right, Mona, thanks for sticking around. Appreciate the conversation. And it will be available on Spotify and Apple for anybody to listen to later. Awesome. So I'll, I'll the link thank later. Thank you. Awesome. All right, thank, thank you, you very much. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye.